Welcome to the Makeshift Happen podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Daly, entrepreneur, life coach, and your no BS bestie, here to bring you all things mindset, manifestation, and personal development. This podcast is designed to help you expand your mind and up-level your life. So turn the volume up and roll the windows down if you're coming along for the ride. Let's go Makeshift Happen. back to the podcast, you guys. I have a really special guest with us here today. I'm joined by one of my friends, soul sisters, mentors, my hypnotherapist, Nikki Cosmo is here. So Nikki is an esteemed hypnotherapist. She's a Reiki and past life regression practitioner. She's a spiritual mentor and a badass Los Angeles native. And she finds her greatest happiness through giving back to her community as a dedicated healer. Nikki allows her clients to explore the innate tranquility and confidence that lie at the subconscious level, ultimately inviting greater freedom into their lives, which I've had the joy of experiencing myself being involved in Nikki's work and trainings. So Nikki marries her colorful life experiences with her formal training. She's very well trained in the work that she does, and she has opened up a university called Cosmic Relations. University, which is just so cool because it's this transformational education program that specializes in spiritual traditions and practices for the modern day human. So it's almost like education for the spiritual girlies. Like how many of us are listening to this being like, that's the kind of school that I want to go to. So Nikki loves all things taboo as well. You've even come into one of my programs and done a session on sacred sex. And now today we're going to talk about money. And you also talk about hypnosis and the subconscious mind. There's so many realms that we can go in, that we can go into with Nikki. So I'm just so excited to have her here with us. And if you guys have been listening to the show for a while, you may have heard a previous episode. Nikki was on the show once before. We did an episode about a year ago now. It was last spring. And that episode was all about death and the fear of dying and past life regression, um, where Nikki shared some of her insights, you know, as someone who has walked very intimately with grief in this lifetime, having lost all of her immediate family members and many friends to death over the years. So if you want to get some background on Nikki, or you're just interested in hearing that conversation as well, you can scroll back a little bit and look for her first appearance on the podcast. But I'm so excited to have her back, and we're going to dive into all things money today, which is a topic that so many of us are excited about, and obviously we all want more money and abundance in our lives. So welcome to the show, Nikki. I can't wait for you to share your wisdom with everyone today. She back. She back for round two. <laughs> She's so back. For that beautiful intro, I really appreciate you and love you. And I'm just so happy to be here again with you, yourself and your audience. So I am beyond stoked. Mm, I'm so excited to dive into this conversation. But first, I wanted to say happy birthday. You recently turned 36. I did. Thank you. Congratulations. I love birthdays and I always feel like they bring up so many reflections and realizations and divine downloads for me. So I'm just curious, 
did, what this birthday brought forth for you, if anything? Whoo, child, so much. It, um, a, I agree with you that I'm, I get real existential in my mind around a birthday. I love birthdays. And I realize thinking back, my parents did a phenomenal job at birthdays. Now that I'm a parent, I'm like, oh, this is like a lot of fucking work. Like my daughter's about to turn two. And I'm like, got to invite the people and the decorations and the food. So I realized my parents really did a good job. Um, every year I had this lavish B-Day. Um, so I've carried that tradition throughout my adult life. And this year it was like, I'm just going to keep it mellow. I mean, I love my people. I love celebrating, but I'm also recently not drinking alcohol. So not that we need alcohol to have fun. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm like, I just want to not push. I don't want to press. I want to surrender. And I ended up having the most beautiful dinner with just two friends in Malibu. And I am like set. And so some of these realizations that have been swirling around my 36th birthday is like, I feel like I can just land I've worked really hard and my business is wildly successful. You know, I have a new baby. I, I just, you know, signed papers on a new house, which you and I can dive into. <gasps> too. Yeah, I know. I've been keeping it a secret. So you guys heard it here first. Oh um, my God. Yes. Okay. We'll talk about it. I feel like I can finally kind of land, you know, like 36 is kind of telling me, Hey, you've done such a good job for so long and you were good at doing it that way. But now the new way is kind of sitting back, chilling, a little more surrender, a little more trust, and just just be with it, like ride the fucking wave, get the surfboard, just chill for a minute. So that's what 36 is teaching me so far. Mm, I love that. It's funny that you say that you did a really good job for a long time with kind of like making it happen. And, and now it's about the surrender and the leaning into it and just letting it continue to flow. And like benefiting from the fruits of your labor because I was, I was just having a conversation with myself today. I was driving in the car and I don't know, whenever I drive in the car and listen to music and put the windows down, it's just like thoughts come, ideas come. So I was having this conversation with myself. Right. And I was thinking about how, especially in business, but this could apply to anybody in any area of your life. When you feel like you're wanting or craving or desiring more money, you know, in business, sometimes if we want to make more sales, we feel like, oh, I just need to sell harder. And this message like dropped in so clear. And I, I don't even think it was my voice, but it basically just said, you don't have to sell harder. You just have to live bigger. Mm. And I feel like this is my new relationship with wanting, desiring, craving, attracting more money Whereas my old pattern was, yeah, let's work harder. Let's push more. Let's do more. And I've really been consciously and unconsciously doing the work to start leaning into that path of, wait, maybe I can just like surrender more or I can live bigger, like in, enjoy more, expand more and let that be the vehicle that brings more money into my sphere. So I love that you just like reflected that back to me in your own words and in your own way, because that's like super present for me right now too. Yeah. You know, I was writing a post this morning for Instagram, which I ended up not posting. So I wanted to sit with it a little longer, uh, kind of for that reason where I'm like, I don't want to just pump out this post just because. So I'm like, I'm going to write this for me. And if I feel inspired tomorrow, then I'll post it. But it was literally talking about this, about the balance of, yes, we do have choice in our life. So we get to choose the direction of our life and the things that happen or how we react or respond. 
but I think it's also a balance of surrendering and flow. So I don't necessarily want to bring God or fate into the conversation because people might say, well, your fate's already chosen, but I think it's actually a balance of, well, we have choice and we have to surrender. It's literally actually both. (laughs) Yeah. Which is hard for people to, to grasp. I think, and for me, it's always been about what I choose to believe. And I would rather choose to believe that there is divine guidance and there's also free will. Mm. I think that's, you know, basically what you're saying is of course we're guided. Of course there's a path, but also we're free will beings and we have choice and we get to make decisions and guide ourselves half of the way, right? It's it's the idea of co-creation, right? It's not, you know, God controls everything, universe, source, whatever you believe in, or humans control everything. It's that beautiful blend. Yeah. And I mean, because we're here talking about money and wealth and abundance, this is what, you know, this solar return turning 36 is showing me is, I did have to put in some work to reach my financial goals. Um, There was a little bit of surrender as well, but I did have to make decisions and make choices and and put, put myself out there and work. Although now I've sort of, I've reached this goal. Could I keep going? Totally. But I've reached this goal and now I want to enjoy the fruits of my labor, like you said earlier. And so, yeah, I think there's so much to say on this for all of the listeners. Like if you want to make X amount of money, maybe you want to make hundred thousand dollars next year. You can, but it's not just going to show up on your doorstep. Even if God wants you to have it or universe or cosmos wants you to have it, that's true. But what's also true is you have to kind of put a little bit of work in as well. So I love this idea of balance. Yeah. And I'm like a huge fan of reminding people of that duality, because I think there's a lot of messaging out there that leans really hard one way. And then there's a lot of messaging that leads that leans really hard the other way. And it's just this beautiful reminder of like, yes, it's both. And okay. Mm -hmm. It's not just, you know, surrender into it and it'll all come. And it's also not just, it's all up to you grind until you die. You have to make it happen because you're the only one that's participating in the creation of your wealth for sure. Totally. 100%. So I wanted to bring this forward to today's conversation because I heard uh, Preston Smiles say something once that was so incredible. And he said, there's really only three main hurdles in human consciousness. And the first one produces the other two. And he said, the first one is mommy and daddy issues. And the second one is sexual shame. And the third one is money shame. Mm. And basically he said, you know, if you can master those three things, you can basically get under everything else. Wow. So I thought that you would find that profound as well, because so much of your work is like (laughs) those three things. (laughs) Totally. I mean, I would say 90% eight percent of my work is those things um not just in the trainings and the courses that i lead and facilitate but because i'm a therapist full-time yes i mean preston smiles is onto something there because undoubtedly it, it boils down to what happened around you in childhood so he says quote unquote mommy daddy but i'd change that to guardian like whoever your guardian was yeah and sexual shame and money a hundred percent and there's a thin thread tied between all three <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was so good. And I think that was the intention behind mommy and daddy is kind of like who you grow up with, who you're surrounded with. That's basically, you know, it comes from, from those guardians. So I I bring this because I wanted to start by 
getting a little bit of context into your childhood, like how you grew up. I know you're from California. You've lived in California your whole life apart from like your nomadic years where you were traveling the world. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your childhood and how you grew up and what your parents did for a living. Maybe, you know, just what, what were some of your initial imprints with money or your experiences in that realm? Yeah. So I grew up in a town called Calabasas, California, which is now very well known because of the Kardashians and Kanye West. Kanye West actually sells like ball caps that say Calabasas on it for like 300 bucks. I'm like, bro, that's where I grew up. But it was prior to them moving in. So, but Calabasas has always been affluent big time. I think someone once told me it's in the United States has like the most gated communities out of every something like that. However, I grew up um, like middle class, maybe lower middle class. I'm not entirely sure because my parents aren't here to discuss those things with. And they were really good at always giving me what I needed, but not always what I wanted. So, I mean, I remember being in middle school and I really wanted that Adidas jacket, the black one with the stripes going down the arms and we Mm -hmm. couldn't afford it. And I wanted just the regular old Adidas shoes, like the white with the black stripes and we couldn't afford it. So I remember going to pay less and getting like the knockoff and then going to school and like wanting to fit in and be cool. And people being like, that's not the real one. And it really left a mark on me. So I I was surrounded by all of this wealth, beautiful cars. All of my classmates and friends had big, lavish mansions and these gated communities. So I was always around it, but my parents, we just didn't grow up that way. We didn't live that way. But again, if we struggled, I didn't know. There was only one conversation that I remember. I was sitting at the top of my stairs. My parents didn't know I was there. And I remember my mom crying to my dad and saying, we're going to lose the house. And I will never forget that because now that I am a hypnotherapist and I work very deeply in the subconscious, that is in me. And I didn't even realize that that's still affecting, um, maybe not present day, but all of the years up until now, it really affected this kind of battle with money and finances and wanting to be rich and wanting to have the cool name brand clothes. So again, bless my parents' hearts. They're not here on this earthly plane, but they did their best. But I think growing up around it and seeing it was its own form of law of attraction. I wasn't actively Mm. doing law of attraction, but it was around me everywhere I went. And so many movie stars and sports players grew up in Calabasas and all their sons and daughters were my friends. So I was around it from a very young age. And I just knew I want that one day. Like, Mm. I don't know how I used to always ask my friend's parents or my friends, what do your parents do? Because I wanted to understand. I was like nine (laughs) years old. Like, what does your dad do? I don't get it. How do you have this house? So my mom was a bookkeeper. My dad was a plumber. So again, they put food on the table, but it was, it was an interesting upbringing. Yeah. That's so interesting because you're so surrounded by wealth, like in one of the the largest ways that you could probably experience in the United States. Like you said, it's a community that is so extremely affluent and it's full of celebrities and famous people and professional athletes and all that kind of thing. So you're, you're seeing it all around you, but you're not experiencing it necessarily in your own household or in your own body yet. What, what were the first money beliefs that you started to question within yourself? Because as a kid, right, you you said your parents did a really good job of 
not making you so aware of the fact that maybe they were stressed about money or they they knew that they had less money than a lot of the people around you guys. So what were the first money beliefs that you ever started to kind of question and go, oh, I think I do hold that belief or maybe that's some, there's something there that, that I need to look at? You know what? I love this question because you know, full transparency listeners out there, I have a therapist. And so I've been in therapy and I, and I'm learning still being a therapist. I'm still learning about my own childhood and what I'm starting to remember. And you can't see my face, but I'm smiling because I was a girl scout and I always had to sell the most cookies because I wanted the biggest prize. And I always did every single time I put myself out there. I was a little badass entrepreneur from day fucking one. So I, I think if this is all coming to the surface as we speak. So I think what I believed was, okay, I see these other people around me have it. I don't exactly know how they got it, but if they can have it, I can too. And I don't know if my mom and dad perhaps instilled that at some point in my life. I'm sure they did. Both my parents were entrepreneurs at one point. So I do get that entrepreneurial kind of, they're very, they were very artistic and creative as well. So I get that from them. But also being that Girl Scout, like, I'm going to just fucking go for the gold. And I did. So I think I believed I could have it if I just put myself out there and I believed it. Mm. I never thought like, oh, it's not for me. I can't do it. I never had that. Yeah. But do you think, I think I, I definitely had that in myself as well, because my parents were both really hardworking people and I had a, sort of a similar experience maybe a little bit extreme because I obviously didn't grow up in Calabasas, but I did live in a, in a town where there was lots of wealthy people. And a lot of my friends and a lot of the girls that I grew up dancing with, like they lived in multi-million dollar homes, which I didn't. And, you know, their parents had like really nice cars and they always had nicer stuff than, than I did. Let's just say it that, you know, I had everything that I needed and I also had nice stuff, but there was that environment of, I have everything that I need and I have enough, but like I'm seeing all these people around me that have more, do you know? But I think, so my parents being really hardworking gave me that belief of I can have it too. I've said this a lot to my clients and my community. Like I've always felt in my bones, like in my knowing, like I will be a millionaire. I just knew that to be true, which I'm so grateful that like I have that belief. But I also think that the idea of I can have it too and feeling like I needed to work hard for it at some point, at some points in my journey burned me a little bit. I don't know if you ever had that experience of feeling like kind of like that Girl Scout energy of I have to work harder than everybody else to sell the most cookies, Mm -hmm. like in your life or in your career and your business being like, I'm just going to work fucking harder than everybody else. And like, I'm going to hustle did that ever start to become not a positive experience? Yeah. I mean, like we, you know, said previously or earlier balance, right? So there have been moments in my working life where I've been way too lackadaisical, like, yeah, 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 whatever. Let me just kick my feet up on this hammock and do nothing. And then bummed out why nothing's, no money's coming to me. But then I've also worked so damn hard that I was, I was a literal workhorse at one point and just saying yes to everybody, no boundaries, people pleasing mentality. And I burnt the fuck out and that's not sustainable either. So that's, you know, 
chilling back and just using the power of manifestation while manifestation is very real. Um, that didn't work to just solely rely on that, but then work, work, work my ass off until I'm falling apart at the seams. That didn't, (laughs) that didn't last and work well either. Yeah. I think it's, you know, we've had conversations recently on the podcast about masculine and feminine energy, and it's kind of, I feel like we do this pendulum swing sometimes where we go. So if we go so far over to the right, let's say in the masculine where we're, you know, work, 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 busting at the seams, burning out, then we may let go of that pendulum and swing all the way over to the left into the feminine of being like, it's totally fine. Everything will come just being on the hammock and being like, and then getting sick of that reality as well, because you're like, wait, I'm not making any money. This is like actually not working. So it's that, you know, having that gentle pendulum swing that kind of dips in and dips out of both sides of the masculine and feminine of the, you know, I'm part creator, but then there's also the universe coming into play and and working. So yeah, exactly. Like you said, that beautiful co-creation. I'm wondering if there was any specific teacher or mentor or book or course or something that cracked you open to the idea that you could be financially limitless or just to the idea that you could do more work on your own mindset around money. Like, was there one thing that made you go, Ooh, I want to start doing that work or go deeper into it? That's a great question. There's two people that come to mind immediately. One is my aunt Catherine and the other is a dear friend of mine, Tom, who um, has now passed away. So both of them, both Catherine and Tom had very spiritual essences about them. Tom was a very spiritual guy, kind of had this Buddhist outlook on life. Uh, My aunt Catherine, uh, she used to be like an usher at Agape, the spiritual church in Hollywood. So both these people that I really looked up to had this sort of essence of the law of attraction, manifestation, co-creation, you know, believing in a higher power. However, they were both millionaires and did online work um, working in the masses, like helping people, serving people. And I just thought that's it. Like, that's my path. I want to have, I I never, ever saw myself in a nine to five at a computer, like at an office job. I actually have never had that type of job. I probably never will. Although I have an office now, but you know what I mean? So they just, they really showed me that anything is possible. And they both you know, Tom again has now passed. My aunt Catherine's still here, but they both had their homes in Malibu. So two very different people, but both living this life that I wanted. And I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. Like what, what sets Tom aside from someone else? What sets Catherine aside from someone else? Nothing. Like if I want that life too, I can build it. And so I did consult with both of them. My aunt Catherine still helps me to this day. She's one of, she's a very well-renowned and, um, highly esteemed love guru. So she was doing love guru way before any of us, you know, way before Instagram or anything. And oh my Tom, God, Tom worked in the film industry. So I I've consulted with both of them and they just, they gave me kind of the keys to the kingdom, if you will, to say, Hey, it's a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And we believe in you. Wow. That's so amazing. So your aunt Catherine, who's like a love guru, did she inspire at all the journey to you becoming a hypnotherapist, a coach, a mentor. Yeah, did did that? Yeah. Yeah. Bless her heart. Aunt Catherine was one of, one of the family members that helped put me through my hypnotherapy college. I didn't, I couldn't mm. afford it. I couldn't afford it. 
And she, you know, that's why I don't know if we'll get into this, but I, I'll just say that I do believe in asking for what we want, even if that means you have to borrow money or ask, get a loan or just merely ask, Hey, do you have money for me? I know it sounds so like nerve wracking and some people are afraid to go down that route, but I can now help and serve my aunt Catherine and all my cousins on that side of the family. Should they need me financially or in any capacity, I can do that because she lent me money back in the day. So, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And I, I love that you brought that up about borrowing money. Cause I'm really transparent about that too. You know, there's times where I had, I had to borrow money to start my journey to becoming a coach. I couldn't afford my first business mentor. I had to ask a family member like, Hey, do you believe in me enough to lend me $5,000? Like I just had to get started. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a lot of shame and embarrassment and fear around asking for money. I even remember like as a kid, it was always so scary for whatever reason. Cause like my parents were not scary people. Mm-hmm. It was just like that weird. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. There's a weird feeling you get when you're like, I have to ask my parents for like $20 or like, I need, I need them to like buy this thing for me. Or I want to go to the movies with my friends and I have to ask for money. It's like, Hey mom, can you, um, <laughs> can you give me 50 bucks? And Yeah. I don't know. Where do you think that comes from? Does it always come from childhood experiences? Does it come, can it come from like ancestors before in our lineage? Does it come from past lives? Like, cause I remember really young having that feeling and I don't know that I got that in this lifetime. Sure. You know, I think it's society. Mm. I just think, I think it's just our, our, our overall, at least Western society, it's our overall outlook on money where those who have a lot of it are kind of operating in one way. And again, this is not everybody, but then those who don't have a lot of it are operating in one way and we're kind of at odds with each other. And uh, talking about money is so taboo and awkward and don't talk about it with your best friends. Don't definitely don't talk about it with the guy you're dating or the person you're dating. It's just, we have this weirdness around money. So maybe it's that. Cause I don't, I remember also feeling that when I had to ask my parents, Hey, I'm going to the movies. Can I have 20 bucks? But I, it's such a good question. Who knows where that started? Yeah. How do you define money now in your life, having cultivated a level of abundance that you feel really good about and you feel really proud of, and you feel really safe in, because I think my definition or my outlook on money constantly shifts and evolves as I do. And you've got more years here at least than I do, at least in this present lifetime. And you've got a lot of different experiences than I do. So I just always think it's interesting to ask people, you know, how they define money or how they look at it at this phase and stage of their life. And I think for me, like right now, when I, when I think about money, I really am adopting this belief that it's a holy resource, that it really is something that we are in divine circulation of. It's like this sacred energy almost that we get to move and dance and share and play with. It's like a tool. It's a vehicle. You know, it helps us reach our highest potential in a lot of ways. And it also helps us help others. It helps us elevate other human beings. So, 
I've come to a place where I really, I think of money almost as like, yeah, a holy resource. Mm -hmm. Like there's so much good that it can do. I really feel like when good people get rich, the world gets better. So what is your definition of money? What is your outlook on it? How do you feel about money now? I, in my heart of hearts, believe that money is just an object. Like you guys can't see me, but I'm holding up a chopstick. So we can just pretend like this chopstick is money. So we're all, okay, here, Sam, here's the chopstick. Okay, good. No, no, you owe me three chopsticks. It's just an object that happens to be made out of paper, which is made out of trees. It's just an object, you know, so is this color pencil. What it represents is our ability to serve others, to give and receive. So back in the day, you know, I might say, Sam, I really want that cow. And you're like, okay, well, I need six chickens. And we're like, okay, let me get my six chickens. And we make a trade. So at some point in time, I don't know the history of money, but at some point in time, we decided we're not going to trade, um, you know, good number one versus good, good number two. There's going to be a, an in-between, a, a middle ground, like a mediator, which became money. And so when I, you know, I teach courses and classes on money as well. And what I'm always trying to share and, and express is that it's just an exchange of services. It's just an exchange of, I'm going to help you out with something you need. And then maybe you can help me out with something I need. And then there's just this thing in the middle. So that's another reason why, A, I love manifestation work, but B, if we're not putting ourselves out there to serve, just be in service of people or be in service of others, then that tangible thing, money or the little chapstick isn't going to come to us. So I like that you use the word sacred and divine because I think we're all sacred and divine beings just from the get-go. We're born out of a sacred cosmic space. We are sacred cosmic souls. Like if we take away the flesh suit, this body, if I take away my name, Nikki, like who am I? I'm just, I'm just a sacred soul really. And we need money to survive because back in the day, you like, if I don't have a cow and you don't have chickens, well, you don't have eggs and I don't have meat. So do you know what I'm saying? It's really just an exchange of how can I help you? And can you help me? So people, mm. people get angry about money, but if we put ourselves out there and know, like I have a service, I have something that's going to positively impact this person, or maybe these people then do that thing. And then you'll get paid the money. Yeah. I love, I love that view, you know, money, just being an exchange of energy. When we think about money as just an energy that the exchange piece makes a lot of sense. And I even think about, you know, if we look at purchasing something that's maybe more of a luxury good, right? Whether it's a, a beautiful home or it's an expensive car or it's a luxury handbag or something that we would consider like a luxury good, right? And so we take this analogy of, oh, you know, it's an exchange of energy and it's my service for their service. So then that may raise the question for some people, like what is the service that the Tesla or the Louboutin does for me? And when I think about that, I think about the energetic experience of driving the Tesla or the G-Wagon or whatever the dream car is, or the Lamborghini, the Porsche, whatever, or carrying the Louis Vuitton handbag or whatever, you know, a luxury good is in your mind that aligns with your values. Because at the end of the day, we're all going to spend money on the things that light up our value centers. And you can look in that, look at that in your astrology and so many other places. But 
the energy of experiencing that luxury good, like if you really think about like sitting in that dream car of yours and feeling the leather seats and rolling the windows down and driving in it and shining it up and making it really beautiful and you just feel so expansive and so proud and joyful and just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like this is my life. Like I did this, I created this. That is a really high energy experience. So it makes sense that the exchange on that would have been high value or high price, high money. So I think for people, sometimes they get caught up in that. When we think about it in terms of like services, we can rationalize it with ourselves of like, oh yeah, I do this you know, good for humanity service, of course I should be compensated with enough money, but with other things, we then start to create judgment of, oh, well, it's a material item or that's a physical thing. So that doesn't count or it doesn't fall in the same category. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. And, you know, I'm sure I had thoughts like this back in the day, maybe childhood growing up in Calabasas, like, well, who do they think they are to have that brand new Mercedes in high school? You know, oh, I'm sure I said this. Oh, well, their parent, you know, Sally's parents bought her the brand new BMW. Like, look at her. When really it was just, it was, it was envy and adoration and a little bit of jealousy. So this is a little controversial, but hear me out. Imagine living in a tent, like under a freeway. Okay. Now imagine living in a home. It could be an apartment with a roof over your head and a bed. One of them is going to be a little more challenging and one of them is going to be a little more comforting. And so while we might look at people who have quote unquote more than us, bigger houses, nicer cars, a Louis Vuitton bag versus, you know, forever 21 bag, it matters. (laughs) Like it matters the amount of money you have and the services you do. And it matters what, how you're setting up your life. There was one point where I was so broke that I had to get on food stamps. And for those who don't know, it's like, a card that the government gives you with a little bit of money, but you can only spend it on groceries. I had a job. I knew I had it in me to make more and receive more, but I wasn't asking for it. I was just hoping. I was just sitting around hoping that my boss would give me a raise. So I had to put myself out there and say, hey, so, you know, da, 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 and have the conversation about getting a raise. And what do they say? Yeah, of course. So I think another thing that can hold us back and this is not a judgment to anyone who lives in a tent under a freeway because I've known some people who have, but we sort of have to get out of our own way in order to get that bigger thing that we want, whether it's a bag or an experience. Like we have to know and believe that we deserve it just as much as anybody else does. Mm, yeah. The asking piece is huge. And I'm so glad we're touching on this in multiple ways in this conversation, not only asking for a raise, but borrowing money. Like, I think that's such a big thing that we need to break away, like break down the shame and release the shame from, because that's a huge barrier for a lot of people of getting where they want to go and actually moving the needle and getting one step closer is having to have the courage to use their voice, stand in their power and speak the fuck up. Like, I think there's so many people that are stuck or stagnant in where they are being like, why, 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 why? And maybe, maybe that is one or the barrier 
Yes. The first one that you need to jump, the first hurdle that you need to jump to get started, to get the momentum, to like start moving is to use your voice and ask. A hundred percent. And okay, let's say you want to invest in a coach or a mentor and, but you don't have that couple thousand dollars up front, but you really want it. I'm a firm believer. My Taurus energy will not budge on this. I'm a firm believer that if you want it bad enough, you'll get it. If you want it bad enough, you'll make it happen. So fortunately and unfortunately, I love all my clients out there, but sometimes when they give me excuses of, well, I, I just can't really do it. I'm like, you can't, or you don't want to, there's a big difference. There's a big difference. So if you want something bad enough, you'll make it happen. And as an example, you know, I had, I asked a friend back in the day, if I could borrow $500, all I wanted to do was put it in my bank account to make it look like I had money. So I'd get approved for a rental, like an apartment rental. Yeah. She said, no. So I'm going to let you guys know that you might ask someone for a favor or to help you out. And they might say, no, I think that's the worst case scenario. The worst case scenario might be like, they say no, and then you die, but that's not going to happen. So the worst case <laughs> simultaneously, scenario, yeah, the simultaneously. Worst case scenario is the person says no. And you go, okay, well, you know, thank you for your consideration. And then you just go ask the next person. And, and that's what I did. I asked my, my friend Paige and she's like, that, yeah, no big deal. And what did I do? I didn't get the apartment. So I just transferred the 500 right back. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but, now, but now I'm in a position where if that friend Paige needs help, or I'm also in a position where if my aunt Catherine, um, for some reason needs financial help, I can now do that because those people were there for me in my downest times. And they, they did help me in ways mentally or financially. However, that now I'm sitting in a position where I can help people in that way. And it feels so fucking good. Yeah, it does. It does. It feels so good. I remember there were multiple times while I was living in Spain where, you know, I was teaching English. So I was earning just like a shitty salary. You know, they kind of give you enough to survive on it, not like a glamorous job at all, but it was the key to me, like living abroad and traveling and being with my boyfriend and all the things that I cared about when I was 21. So I didn't mind. It was, it was worth it to me, but there were many times in that journey that I was unemployed or not earning any money at all. Cause as soon as summer hit, we stopped getting um, our checks. We didn't earn money for almost four full months out of the year, which was so challenging also because at the end of the month, you don't really have any savings. And then you just have to go four months without earning a cent or you got to find some other way to make money. So we would give private classes and like, I would really, I, I would really hustle. Like I was, you know, sending myself across the city, taking multiple trains, buses, traveling for 40 minutes to an hour just to give a class for them to give me 20 bucks, you know? And, and there were multiple times where I just didn't have money. Like I, I didn't have enough. And so my partner had to kind of cover for me. And there were a lot of times where he was like, don't worry about it. Like I got our bills. I'm going to pay the rent. We got our groceries. Like I'm going to take care of the dog. Like it's all going to be good. It's totally fine. And now those roles have sort of reversed in a way because now that we've moved back to the States and he's in his immigration process at the moment, he's not able to work legally. So he can't bring in money for the household. And it feels really good for me to be able to be like, I got it, babe. Like, it's totally fine. I'm going to buy our house. (laughs) I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to pay all our bills. Like I'm going to figure it out. Like, it's totally fine. I got you. 
But that wouldn't have happened if I didn't have those people, like you were saying in my life that I had to ask. I had to ask my dad to help me get started in my business. He was the first person to believe in, in my vision and invest in me. And my partner who was always supportive of me and always there to cover me when I didn't have anything, I wouldn't be able to do this for them or for others if they weren't, hadn't been there for me, but I had to ask back then. Mm -hmm. And that was the catalyst to start the whole journey. Totally, totally. And I do want to speak to anyone listening who might be thinking right now, well, I don't have an aunt or a dad that I can ask for money from because I've heard that and I, and I validate that. But think about the people around you. There are so many people that care about you. So many, whether it's a family member, maybe a former teacher, maybe you have a mentor or a friend or a cousin or a stranger, maybe it's your neighbor, but there's someone out there in your field who cares about you and believes you that even if you're asking to borrow a hundred bucks, they'll say, yes, that is a promise. Mm, mm, I love that. I hope this is inspiring some people to get creative and start thinking about how they can jump that first barrier to really start the momentum for themselves. When we, when we start learning about money mindset, cause there's going to be a lot of people that listen to this, that have, you know, read some books, listen to podcasts. When we start learning about money mindset, I'm doing air quotes. It's always like this classic theme of, you know, question your beliefs and what you heard about money growing up and money, you know, did you hear money doesn't grow on trees and money's the root of all evil and all those things, right? We've, we've all heard that a lot. How important or not important is that really? And how far do you think that we can get with mindset work? Mindset work is, will take you the farthest. And mindset work is 100% important, not 99.9, 100%. Because in the classes that I teach, so I also teach a hypnotherapy training. So when I'm teaching these students about how the subconscious mind operates, whether it's in regard to money or whatever, they say that they, as in myself and other hypnotherapists and subconscious specialists, we say that you can get kind of far with willpower alone, but if you have willpower and subconscious reframing and rejigging and polishing up, then you can shoot for the freaking stars. Literally nothing will hold you back. But I think I love how you're saying the first barrier or the first block, because Yes, asking for money is going to help you. But if you don't even have the mindset to say, I can do this, or I'm worth it, or money is for me, wealth is for me, well, then you might just have get that $100 or $1,000 and go, well, what the heck do I do now? So changing our mindset, getting into the subconscious and really reframing and rewiring some old stuff is everything. Mm. So maybe that's the first step. <laughs> maybe that's the, maybe that's the first hurdle. Maybe we sort that and then we ask for the money. Okay guys. <laughs> so that when we get the money, we actually can trust ourselves, believe in ourselves enough to know what to do with it and to not let old subconscious patterns run us into the ground or burn a hole in our pocket or whatever it may be. So when you're speaking about mindset work, Nikki, you're speaking about the work that you do, which is subconscious programming through the art and the science of hypnosis. Yeah. And there's something that, that you said that I saw on your Instagram a while back, because you have this program of wealth consciousness, brain training. And I think it was in something related to that, but it said like, you know, getting rich begins with the way that you think. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear you just touch on the 
the importance of subconscious reprogramming and how this can really change our relationship and our reality with money. Totally. So from the ages zero to eight years old, we are in a natural state of hypnosis. So you hear it all the time that kids are like sponges and, you know, be careful what you say or do because they're watching and listening. Well, it's so true because not only are you a sponge and you're taking it all in, but you are actually scientifically in a state of hypnosis, which means so getting down into the definition. Now, when we're under hypnosis, we're just more easily suggestible. So our minds are more open and more, um, they're, they're more able to take in what's happening around us. So that can be good, bad, right, wrong, ugly, beautiful. We're taking it all in as our truth. So one might say to themselves, well, I don't remember anywhere from the age of zero to eight, my parents saying rich people are bad or money doesn't grow on trees. Someone might say, I don't remember hearing that ever. So why am I struggling? Okay. Well, I'd say, Sally, that's my fake person. So Sally, we need to go down a level deeper. Was there ever a point in your life where someone made you feel not good enough? Did you ever get called stupid? Maybe you got an A minus and your parents were people who said, no, you get an A plus or you're going to your room. Like what other things happen around you that, that broke down your worthiness or your self-trust or your ability to believe in yourself, you know what I mean? Or your determination, your drive, all of these things. So bless our guardians' hearts, our parents or whomever it may be. But there were things that some of them did around us that we took on as ours. And now we're adults and some of us might wonder, why am I struggling? I work my nine to five. I asked for the raise. I still can't afford life. Well, listen to the words you're saying. I can't afford life. So even the words we speak out loud is a form of subconscious programming. So we need to start living it as though it's already true. So I'm kind of going like two directions right now, but it's, it's getting into the subconscious, rewiring stories, and then speaking things as if they're true. Mm. So explain for everybody listening, if they've never, if they've never encountered the work of hypnosis or they've never worked with a hypnotherapist, what does it actually look like to utilize hypnosis to help someone reprogram their subconscious mind? Because obviously, you know, we have the, the stereotypical ideas of what hypnosis might entail or thinking that maybe it doesn't work or, or maybe being scared that it's like something really crazy and weird. So, I mean, I've experienced hypnosis with you and it's like the most blissful experience ever, <laughs> but for everybody listening, who's like, what the actually happens? Let's like lay it out for them. Describe like what it's like to actually do a hypnosis session. Yes. So contrary to popular belief, hypnosis and hypnotherapy is not mind control and it's not anything close to what you see at the circus or the fair where it's like a stage hypnotist is like, you know, doing their fingers all in your face and then the, the pocket watch and then, okay, boom. And now you're sleeping and you cluck like a chicken. They are using real um, techniques. And so what's interesting is the ten techniques they know and the techniques I know are actually very similar, but they're doing it to be jovial and put on a show. So when you are in my chair as a client of hypnotherapy, keyword therapy, what I do is I'm an acute listener. I am a wordsmith and I am present and I'm hearing everything you say and I'm listening between the words. So you're saying, yeah, well, I just all, all men suck and I can't find a boyfriend. And, but that's not really what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? So I'm listening to what you're saying between the words. I'm taking notes. And then once I get you into a deeply relaxed state of mind, it's very similar to meditation. It's very similar to that 
twilight state right before you go to sleep or right when you're waking up and you're like, oh, I feel so juicy and cozy. I get you into that state. And then I just know the exact words to use to your subconscious mind for your benefit. I know exactly what to say when you're in that, again, that open, suggestible state of mind, you feel relaxed, you feel juicy, your eyes are closed. You're like, I feel like I'm in a jacuzzi and a sauna and like a Tempur-Pedic bed all at once. Like you don't want to move. You're just so good to go. And then I'm just speaking to you. That's all it is. I'm just speaking words. Yeah. It's a really beautiful experience. And I've been like so fortunate to, to have you guide me. I think it's really important to have someone that you trust. I remember telling my mom about our hypnotherapy sessions and she was like, well, how do you know what she's doing when you're down there, down there being like in the hypnosis? (laughs) And I honestly had never thought about that because I just didn't think of it in that way. I didn't think that, you know, someone could do like do something bad or like program me with something bad while I'm in hypnosis. But that's because the only hypnotherapist I've ever worked with is you. And I, I trust you deeply and I know that you're a good person. So I think it is important for people to have that level of trust with whoever they work with, that it's someone that's not only trained, but that is going to have their best interest in mind and really be there with the pure intention to help and support. You know what? Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying the word trained because full transparency, there's not a whole lot of regulations on the world of hypnosis and hypnotherapy. There are different levels and different certifications you can get, um, kind of like Reiki or massage, or I don't know, or like, you know, you get your AA, then your BA, then your master's. It's kind of like that. There are levels in hypnosis. However, there's a lot of people talking about hypnosis and hypnotherapy who aren't trained. And unfortunately, And fortunately, I get clients who come to me who say, you know, I did work with so-and-so. I've heard a lot of names thus far. I did work with so-and-so and and she actually re-triggered a trauma and then didn't know how to hold that space for me. So can you help me? I'm like, oh my God, like, who was it? Tell me more because because of the regulations that are so lax around this world, uh, just, yeah, I don't want to put any bad vibes out into the world, but just to touch on what you're saying and anyone listening, it is so important to find someone and know what their background is and where, where they were trained and where they're coming from, because it is a very, um, it's a very sensitive place to go. I mean, your mom is not wrong. You know, what if someone takes you down there and, and says something negative, which I pray to God and universe that no one's doing that, but it is a sensitive place to go in the mind. So just know that if you're reaching out to someone for hypnotherapy, that, that you resonate with them and that you know what their background is. Yeah, for sure. It's a vulnerable state to put your, to open your subconscious mind to somebody else, right. To put it in the hands of somebody else. Um, so yeah, definitely making sure having discernment, please discernment with people that you're working with, but this is why I'm so excited to have you come inside of this new program, wealth calibration, because I know you, I've worked with you. I trust you. I love you. I think you're so good at what you do. So nothing but the best for the women that are going to come into this program and be guided through an incredible wealth calibration hypnosis by none other, none other than herself, Nikki Cosmo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to have you. Um, what are your intentions when you go into specifically, because I know you do hypnotherapy for a lot of different reasons, but when you go in for like a wealth consciousness retraining of the subconscious mind, what are your intentions? What are we trying to unwrite or rewrite or add in there? 
Yeah. Well, spoiler alert. It's not really about the money. So I'm holding up the chapstick again. It's not really about the tangible paper money or the chapstick. It's about your worth, which is actually kind of a play on words. They don't mean it worth as in the dollar sign. I mean, how worthy you feel in your humanness. And so when I take someone into a wealth consciousness or a wealth calibration hypnosis or anything having to do with money and abundance, riches, you know, this topic, I'm taking them so down underneath the, well, my boss didn't give me the raise or the, I can't afford it. I'm taking you so much deeper down there that it actually boils down to how deeply worthy do you feel? Because if you feel worthy, you will, you wouldn't be in my chair right now. If you have, you know, a 10 out of 10 self-love, you probably wouldn't be in my chair right now. So let's go down and figure out where can we start building upon more self-love? Where can we start building upon more self-worth, more trust, more surrender, more um, grace, more compassion. And so anyone out there who's like, but I love myself. If you sit in the chair, I'm sure we can find little <laughs> threads that are tied to maybe, you know, oh, my boyfriend said I was stupid one day. And that's still, you're still holding on to that. So my intention going into any type of wealth hypnosis is to, you know, I'm holding my heart right now is to, is to really bring someone back to their pureness. Cause the only thing that's left there when you're in your pureness is just straight up love. It's just love. Yeah. I'm going really down deep now into <laughs> I'm going really down deep, but you guys just know that I'm not going in there and saying you will be rich. You will make a thousand dollars. It's like the <laughs> furthest thing from robotic, you know, nonsense. It's, it's getting you down into feeling into your body, feeling into your yourself and coming back to who you are. Yeah. So for everybody listening that may be interested in having this experience and joining us inside of wealth calibration, you know, the idea and the intention behind this whole program is just what Nikki was saying. It's really about the feeling of wealth, right? This program is designed to be a four-week embodiment experience. So I've really tried to bring in people from all different areas and expertises to create the true feeling of wealth. Like it really is an experiential guide. So it's less about sitting down in front of a workbook and thinking about our beliefs about money and writing things down. And it's more about peeling back the layers and actually getting into the metaphysical experience of wealth and worthiness and abundance. So not only will we have Nikki doing hypnosis, but we've also got incredible hypno breath work with Susie Perry. Rosie Reese is coming in to do a pleasure workshop all about the connection between our pleasure centers and our ability to receive and attract abundance. And then we have your beautiful friend, Rachel Staggs, who's coming in to do the sound healing, a frequency of abundance sound healing. So it's going to be just an incredible experience. And I'm so grateful that you're going to be part of it. Nikki, thank you for saying yes. And I'm so excited for everyone that's going to get to sit with us and experience it. So the last thing that I want to touch on is this idea of safety and money, which we're kind of speaking about now and, and have been throughout this. It's kind of a thread through the whole conversation, but it's interesting when we look at some of our tendencies 
in life. And a lot of us have no issues spending all kinds of money on random shit, like from Amazon or Target or getting the biggest TV possible or Uber Eats all the time or clothes, shoes, technology, whatever it is, right? That's all this stuff that's probably going to be in the garbage or be donated in a few years and mean next to nothing to us soon. But yet we struggle so much investing in something like a coach or a mentor or a therapist or a program that may have a consistent ROI for us for the rest of our lives. Or the other piece of this is we spend all kinds of money on ourselves on all this stuff, but for some reason we still feel guilt, embarrassment, or shame or imposter syndrome around charging $1,000 for our work. So what is your perspective or experience with this correlation between safety and money or shame and money? Why do we, why do we spend so much money on all of the other stuff yet we find it hard to charge money or invest in ourselves in a deeper way? This is multi-pronged. So I'll do my best to, to <laughs> cover all the prongs. A again, society. We live in a consumerist way. You know, do do I buy things? Do I have like a nice bed and do I have a Louis Vuitton? Yes, I do. Do I like to buy shoes? Yeah, I totally do. Do I also have a therapist? And do I have a esthetician? And, you know, do I have all those other things and a massage therapist? Yes, I also have those. And what happens is, is because we're in such a consumerist um, society of, of things, tangible things, when we're spending money on something that's not necessarily a tangible thing, like a coach or a mentor or a therapist, uh, there's like a disconnect there because we weren't really raised with the billboards and the commercials saying, okay, Sally, now go get a therapist. We're, do you, I don't know if I've ever seen a commercial that said, go get a hypnotherapist or a coach today. Like they don't talk about that. They talk about get, get, you know, the cool new, I don't even know, you know, the cool new bed frame, whatever it is. Or, or a pharmaceutical drug. <laughs> or that. Yeah. Like, well, exactly. So <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> but yeah. Get the pharmaceutical drug. Okay, so Sally looks at that commercial and says, yeah, 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 because it's tangible. It arrives in a pretty Amazon box to her door and she can open it and there it is. But you could spend the same amount of money on a therapist who's getting down into your mind, which remember, mindset comes number one. And that's lifelong. And there's no negative side effects <laughs> as opposed to a, a, a pharmaceutical drug. So to pull it back a little bit, this might be a bit of a trigger warning, but I am in this group as well. So this is not toward anyone or anything specific, but sometimes when some of us have been through traumatic life experiences or hardships, we can get comfortable there. And so it can be harder to think of a life without depression or even imagine a life without anxiety or imagine a life without acne or IBS or whatever. Maybe we have uh, arthritis or whatever it is. But there is a life on the other side of all of those things, but we can subconsciously, not consciously get stuck in the comfort zone of perhaps how these ailments are quote unquote serving us. So if we can think, I rem I'll never forget this. One of my dearest friends, Arno, also a mentor in terms of wealth. Arno said to me once, you know, you don't have to live in pain. And it was the most simple sentence someone has ever told me, but it made sense in a way that had never made sense before. And I'm like, oh yeah, 
I've been sort of walking around with this narrative of like, I have to live in pain all the time. Like, oh, my migraines, oh, my, my stomach. But once I said, no, I'm going to change my mindset on that. Um, you know, the pain, the pain subsided. So I think I'm going on tangents here now, but there, there's a lot of disconnect between spending money on ourselves for lifelong wellness, as opposed to the tangible items that the magazines and the commercials tell us to buy. So for everybody listening, think of these words that Sam and I are saying, if you invest in a coach or a mentor or a therapist or whoever it may be, that's changing. That is evergreen. That changes you for the better forever, as opposed to a pharmaceutical or a brand new pair of whatever shoes that aren't going to last. I don't know if that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it's a really good point because we are so obsessed with the instant gratification. That's what it is of that's why we place more value on receiving something tangibly than, Mm -hmm. than investing in something that is more energetic or intangible in a sense, because we want the gratification of knowing I sent, I sent this money, I swiped my card and now I can hold in my two hands, the thing that it brought me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why it's so hard for us to, to invest in these other things because it's like, Oh, I'm going to swipe my card. And then nothing really happens. I wait for a week and then I, you know, get on a zoom call with this person, you know, and you hope for the best. We hope you have a breakthrough, but if you do have a breakthrough of any kind, even just one, that will change your life forever because whatever, whatever you rewire or whatever you unlearn or whatever you learn that changes or shifts your perspective in the way that you look at the world or see yourself or move through the world that changes the trajectory of your entire human existence in this lifetime. Yeah, it does. It does. You know, you can, uh, tangible things aren't bad. We need them. Some of them we need like shampoo and a toothbrush and whatever. And we love them. Like whatever. Yeah. Like I'm not going to lie. I like my new shoes I just got, but (laughs) I also on top of buying new shoes, I also need to understand the balance of investing in things that are lifelong and evergreen. And was my life forever changed after my first therapy session? No, it wasn't. Was it changed after three or four? A little bit. Was it changed after like eight months? Big time. Am I going to stop? No, because it's feeding me and serving me in a way that is unlike any pair of shoes could do. So, I mean, I'm a firm believer in having people on your team, whether you pay for those people or not. If you pay for a mentor, cool. Or if you just have a best friend that's supporting you, that's cool too. But um, it's all important. Yeah. Mindset, mindset, mindset. It's all important. It's all important. And we get to have it all. I think that's the most important thing is that you don't have to decide that you're only going to care about the spiritual or the ethereal or the energetic and, you know, the things that are good for humanity, quote unquote, or good for your health and your life. And then you be able to indulge in the beautiful material items and things that the world has to offer. It's like, we get, we get to have both. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yes. Speaking of that, congratulations on your house. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, we've been working together recently in hypnotherapy about me getting my house. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you didn't say anything to me about you getting a house. (laughs) I haven't told anybody, literally you and your listeners are the first people to hear. I haven't even told my own audience yet. (laughs) Oh my God. Is it, I assume it's in California. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's in Malibu. So it's uh, in the Santa Monica mountains, which is a very um, special place to my partner and I both. And it just has everything we need. It's exactly what I, I mean, you can't see my computer background, but I I'm a big believer in visualization. So my phone background and my laptop background have been this Malibu home in the Santa Monica mountains. And did it happen overnight? No, it didn't, but I didn't fucking give up. And it just landed one day. It just landed. And I know you and I have talked about this. I signed on a different house and then it, we didn't get it. And I was so upset. I was so bummed. I'm like, fuck. Ah, like I really wanted that one. And then this one came around and guess what folks, it's better. So thank you for your congratulations. It feels really good. Yeah. I'm so happy for you that uh, was it the exact house or you just had like a, a house that was matching the vision of what you wanted as your desktop background, not the exact house, but it's, they are the exact mountains right there. I'm looking yeah. at my phone right now. So yeah, it's, it's very close. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do that next. So I had a similar experience. We, you know, signed a contract and we put an offer in on a home and we didn't get it. And I was really bummed and you know this, and I'm just like, I know, I know that it's for a reason. And I know that the next thing is going to be better because it has to be better. It's this or something better always. Exactly. Exactly. I think I might've known Mm -hmm. at that point when I saw you and I was like, just trust it's coming. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Well, I'm so, so happy for you. I'm so excited for you and your little family, um, to get to experience your new beautiful home in the Malibu mountains. And I'm excited for everybody that decides to say yes to wealth calibration and step forward in this really powerful way and choose themselves and doing this work with us and getting to experience your magic inside the container. So thank you, Nikki, so much for coming on the show once again and sharing your life and your wisdom and your beautiful energy with us. I'm so, so grateful for you on so many levels and for so many personal reasons, but also just for being here today. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you too. And I really look forward to seeing some of you inside Wealth Calibration. It's going to be beautiful and worth it and you're worth it. Mm. All right, you guys, we will talk to you soon and see you next week. If you want to connect with Nikki, we are going to leave her handle and her website in the show notes below. So you can go and click, give her a follow, get in her world, go learn from her. And if you want to join us inside wealth calibration, I'm also going to leave the link in the show notes for you to sign up and save your spot today. Doors close in just a couple of days. On May 31st, we begin on June 1st. So we hope to see some of you guys there. I will talk to you guys next week. Bye.